Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live once again right here from our studios in sunny Central Florida, Daytona Beach. Good to have everyone here today. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is an outreach ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, you can actually go to our website, which is right there on the screen if you're watching this live, at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com. And you can get more information on what's happening with Raven Ministries International and all of our teams and our locations all across the United States and into Canada as well. And so if you're wondering about it, Raven actually is an acronym for Restoring a Vision and Evangelizing Nations. And that's really what we're all about. We're about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and actually going out there and touching hearts and lives for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you're doing something, we'd love to hear about it, what God's doing in, in your neck of the woods and how God's using you to expand his kingdom here in these last hours. And uh, we'd like to be praying for you. We pray every morning from 9 a.m., excuse me, from 6 a.m. What is it? No, it's 5 a.m. I'm sorry. I, my days all kind of blend together. From 5 to 6 a.m., and if you'd send your prayer request to pray at biggrace.com, we'd certainly like to lift up your prayer request before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just confident that where two or three agree is touching anything here on earth, that same is done in heaven. And that God honors the prayers of that, and they avail much uh, when they're, they're lifted up in righteousness towards him. So we, we, uh, we're here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. with this expository teaching. And uh, we're in the book of Romans, and presently we're in the 12th chapter, and this is class 165. It is. But if you missed out on previous classes, we make those available to you free of charge. If you'll just send a request to raven at biggrace.com, if you'll send a request, say, I would like the Romans teaching on disc. Send those uh, and give us your snail mail address, and we'll mail those to you absolutely free of charge. There's no charge for anything that we offer because we freely received and we freely give. And if we can't you know, invest a dollar in you to send you a, a DVD or a CD or something, i tell you what, we're not worth much. And so... Uh, when these guys are asking you for twenty nine ninety five for their super anointed uh, teaching, I'll send you 165 hours of super anointing word from the Word of God absolutely free. There's no charge for the things that God has given us. They've already been paid for 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. So we'd love to put those in your hands. And I, I think you really you'll be challenged, and, uh, and, and God will speak to you through it if you'll just allow that Word of God to get into you. So once again, good to have everyone here today. We're going to pray to open up the, this morning class, that, that God will just show up and show out, that He'll take uh, my limited ability and He'll take that and transcend the limitations of, of my, my, my strength, and that He'll be the strength made perfect in our weakness, and He'll just open up our hearts and lives to the Word of God this morning. We'll also pray for the sick. If you got anybody that's sick you need prayer for, drop their name on the screen right there, and we'll pray for those by name as well as we're lifting up our prayers to the Lord this morning. So good to have everyone here today that's gathered from all across the United States and elsewhere. And uh, thank you for being with us, and uh, we're just going to believe God for a good uh, hour of study this morning in the Word of Truth. And so, Father, we just come to you right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We come to you, Lord God. Father, with access by that one place, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that the cross has provided us access, Lord God, into the Holy of Holies, Lord God. That we've got access, Lord God, into our place and time of help, Lord God. And, and Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, it's that blood that cries out on our behalf. And Father, as we come today, Lord God, we need your wisdom and understanding, Lord God, like never before. We've got to have, Lord God, a revelation of the cross of Calvary. We've got to have a revelation of your word, Lord God. We've got to have a revelation of 
of holiness and righteousness and obedience, Lord God. We've got to have it, Lord Jesus. Father, we can no longer get by, Lord God, with just a, a, a samplings, Lord God, of righteousness. We don't want to be like those that walk around the grocery store, Lord God, uh, getting a bite off the end of a toothpick and calling that lunch, Lord God. We've got to begin to pull up to the table of the Lord and, Father, get a heaping helping, Lord God, of what you have for us, Lord God. We don't want to dabble in righteousness, Lord God. We want to be consumed, Lord God, by your word and by your presence in the name of Jesus. And so today, Lord God, we come. And Father, I come, Lord God, in, in, in my frailties and my inabilities. And Father, I, I, I do not want those things to stand in the way, Lord God, of your revelation to us through your word. And so, Father, I just make myself available, Lord God, for your hand. Lord God, that you would utilize, Lord God, this, this, this limited vessel, Lord God, by the unlimited ability and power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you that it's never been by our might or power, but it's always been by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, Father, we're asking that the Spirit of the Lord would teach us, Lord God. He would reveal to us, Lord God. He would, he would pierce our hearts, Lord God, because he is, Lord God, the discerner of the thoughts of a man's heart, Lord God. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that that word would find a place, Lord God, deep, Lord God, into the recesses of our heart, Lord God. It would find a place deep, Lord God, into our, our minds. It would find a place deep, Lord God, to challenge us, Lord God, in those areas, Lord God, that have long been off limits, to, Lord God, to your power and your presence, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord God, I'm asking right now, Father, for the power of God, Lord God, to manifest itself, Lord God, in this time of teaching and study of the Word of God, that we would have the mind of Christ. And Father, we pray for those that have been sick in body, in the name of Jesus, for D, Lord God, Mike's mom, who's had this heart attack. And, Father, we're asking, Lord God, that every chamber, every artery, Lord God, every capillary, Lord God, in her heart, Lord God, would be touched and healed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There'd be no lasting weakness or sickness, Lord God. But, Father, you would do a creative miracle to that heart muscle in Jesus' name, Lord God. Father, restore her, Lord God, and comfort her, Lord God. And, Father, I ask through this, Lord God, that you reveal yourself to her in a greater way. Lord God, if there's issues or areas, Lord God, that, that she's left open to the adversary, Father, I pray, Lord God, that, that this experience would slam the door shut to those things, Lord God. God, and she would be a testimony of your goodness and of your consecration in a person's life. Father, I pray, Lord God, for, for Derek and Donovan, for their salvation, Lord God, that, that Derek, Lord God, will be set free, Lord God, that, that this thing that he's, he's uh, kicked, Lord God, this addiction, that, Father, that it won't be something that continues to come back, Lord God, but it won't be just him recovering, but it'll be him delivered, Lord God, by the power of the blood of Jesus. Lord God, and for, for Derek, Lord God, that he would not, uh, uh, Lord God, continue to walk, Lord God, in, in compromise or sin, but he would, Father, consecrate himself unto you in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we just thank you for the great testimonies, Lord God, that have come forth from Pastor George, Lord God, that you're just raising him up. Lord God, we thank you for that, 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 that you're doing a work and you're answering prayer, Lord God, for this, this, this precious friend and man of God. And Father, we just continue to ask, Lord God, that you would continue, Lord God, to do the complete and, and total process of healing and restoration in our brother's body, Lord God. And Father, all those that have been sick, Lord God, physically, we're asking for a touch from the Lord, Lord God, a, a manifest miracle, Lord God, on each and every one of them. Lord God, that they might be healed and filled and restored, Lord God, and empowered through the blood of Jesus, Lord God. And we thank you for this day. Give us some tremendous opportunities, Lord God, even uh, this afternoon, Lord God, to lift up the name of Jesus and declare your majesty, Lord God, even as those, Lord God, that are going to be out witnessing, Lord God, whether it be on their job or in just normal situations, Lord God. Father, empower them, Lord God, through the blood of Jesus, Lord God, to be not just hearers, but doers of the word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Aren't you guys excited about this 12th chapter of the book of Romans? You know, it's, it's amazing that, uh, it, and it doesn't just stop here. You know, we, we come and we have our 60 minutes of teaching uh, on, a, on Monday through Friday. 
But, but folks, the thing about the Word of God is it doesn't end when we, when we close the pages. It's a living Word that is put upon us. I, I know Pastor Meredith right there, you see him, Pastor Murr, right there from uh, with the with the ghetto cross behind him there in uh, Fairfield, uh, Texas. Uh, he called me yesterday evening, and man, he said the Word of God was just still dealing with him. He called and he said, I'm just broken. He said, I'm just thinking about what God has spoken in His Word. Folks, that's what the Word is all about. And so when, when I say at the end of every program, get into God's Word and words, God's Word will get into you. Folks, it's, it's not so much as of what we can put out on the airwaves or what we can uh, stamp onto a CD and put it. But it's allowing that Word literally to be engrafted into our hearts. And it changes you. It transforms you. And so what happens is that little seed that, that I'm able to deposit in you, and, and that's really what it is. All, all I'm depositing you is the seed of God's Word. Believing that, that when you allow it to be cultivated, when you allow it to be irrigated by the Spirit of God, what's it going to do? It's going to do just like my brother said. It's going to begin to change and challenge you even way beyond uh, uh, what, what, what you receive or hear during this teaching. And so, folks, listen, allow that word literally to get into you. Allow it to, to grow and allow it to manifest itself in, in a way that, that transcends your, your natural comprehension or understanding because that's what the word of God is designed to do. And so as we, as we do it, what you need to do is really meditate upon these things. Think about what Joshua was told. He said, you know, take that word and meditate upon it day and night. And what will it do? It will cause us to, to, to be prosperous. It causes us to be victorious in every uh, area of, of our life as well. So, folks, listen. Allow that word to take root, even as my sister is saying it right as I'm saying it, right here on the screen. Allow it to take root and allow it to produce uh, uh, much fruit in your heart and life as you apply those things. Don't, don't put the word in there and say, I don't want that, and uproot it before it can manifest itself. Because, folks, listen, I tell you what, if you'll allow that word to get deeply embedded into your heart and life, you're going to see a great harvest that's coming out of it. Uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but watch. You'll be able to extract those things in your life. I see it all the time as I'm ministering or, or even teaching. You know, I'll be teaching and all of a sudden it's just something, boom, is extracted that, that I've allowed God to put in at some other point or another. And I'm thinking, man, where did that come from? Then God just brings it back to remembrance. Oh, I know when I was reading that day and I'm studying that. And all of a sudden as I'm preparing or whatever else, it's just like boom, 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 boom. The Spirit of God just takes me into that, that vegetable garden of, of, of His Word and begins to extract stuff. Folks, there's no shortcut. I want to tell you that. There is no shortcut uh, in the Word of God. You have got to saturate yourself. People always... T- so maybe there's somebody they enjoy their teaching or whatever and say, I want to be like that. Well, get ready to pay the price. Get, get ready to pay the price. It's not so much as, as getting you a pack of seeds and throwing them out on the sidewalk and, and going out the next day and grabbing you a watermelon off the pavement. No, folks. It, it's going out there and preparing the soil and, 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 and breaking up the fallow ground, planting that seed and allowing that word to, 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 to the seasons to come upon it where God's going to produce much fruit in your life. So I just want to challenge you that to be... Uh, Patient and endurance in the Word of God and allow it to have its perfect work. So yesterday, folks, we began really, I, I'm going to call it our walk uh, into these 21 verses of, of this 12th chapter uh, that, that make up the, the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And we, we kind of began that because it is, it's going to be a walk. What you're going to see is, man, there's going to be some tremendous things along the way. And it's almost like somebody saying, hey, I want to show you a neat place. And you walk to the first place and you look at it and you're like, man, this is breathtaking. This is amazing. You know, I remember we went to, there's a place here in Central Florida, uh, just about uh, 30 minutes from our house, called Blue Springs. And, you know, here I was, you know, raised up in West Texas, flatlands, no trees, you know, 
far as the eye can see, I mean, that's all you, it's really big sky country. Uh, if you got a tree, it's because somebody planted an old elm out in the backyard. It's not because you've got a lush forest, you got maybe a, a mesquite or a tumbleweed blowing by. And so here I am, we're in, we're now we're living here in central Florida, and when we drive up, we go to this place called Big, the Blue Springs. It's right off the St. John's River, but it's a, it's a, it's a natural spring that has a, uh, uh, spring head at one end, and, uh, that, that comes up, and it's all these manatee and all this vegetation. And so we walk up there, and I'm just blown away. I'm like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And I, I find myself standing there on one of these wooden railings and just looking out and just amazed. And I think, man, it can't get any better than this. Well, I take, I go 50 yards down, and I look again. I'm like, just more amazed. I see the, 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 the fish swimming in this crystal water and all these things. I'm just amazed by it. And so, folks, really, what this, this 12th chapter is like taking a trip through Blue Spring. As you get closer to the, to the, to the, to the head spring, you're saying, man, it just gets more and more precious. And, folks, that's what you're going to find. Man, we're going to find a head spring of the Word of God that's going to give us that water that's going to flow into us. And it's that washing and that regeneration of the Word. So I really want you to kind of look at it that as good as it is today and it's going to be tomorrow, as we progress into what God has given us in these, these 21 verses in the 12th chapter, what you're going to see is, man, there's going to be a place that you're going to be able to dip down and, and, and cup your hand and pull up a fresh drink of water, and it's going to taste like nothing that you've ever experienced before. And so we're getting that out of the 12th chapter, whereas the first eight chapters really they kind of provided a detailed look at the doctrines derived from the cross. What these 21 verses are showing us, uh, and, and really the expectancy of a life of walking in submission to the relationship made available by the cross. And so this is what we can expect. This is the, the lifestyle of the believer that should be expectant out of us. The other ones told us how to do it. They, they, they showed us how, how that doorway was opened up through the rejection of Israel, uh, a rejection of the Messiah by Israel. And now what we're saying is, okay, he's saying, listen, guys, I, I beseech you. Here's what's happening. And so this isn't the why do I follow uh, Christ section of the Word of God. This is uh, how am I expected to live as a true follower of Christ's section of the Word of God. And folks, listen, we'll do well to study and diligently really follow the directives uh, that have been established in this portion of Scripture. So, obviously, we began yesterday with verse 1, but really didn't have time to, to complete uh, our look into Paul's uh, kind of opening salvo here, is, it, is he's literally begging the people of God to present or to place themselves at the disposal of God. And so that's where we began yesterday. He said, listen, I'm begging you. I beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Not, not, the, not the command like Moses gave the people, but under grace he's saying, listen, I'm begging you. It's a choice that God is affording to you. If you want to receive the benefits of this, I'm begging you to come. And folks, listen, that's, that's really needs to be our heart towards the Word of God. If we really believe what it is and we believe the benefits that God has, what's going to happen is we're going to have that, that broken heart and we're going to have that urgency that's going to tell people. You know, I was talking to somebody just the other day and uh, this was a person that claims to be a believer and it wasn't out in front of a bar or club or anything. And they were just talking about, you know, I don't mind talking to people about the Lord, but I don't believe that you're supposed to, uh, to you know, to, to force, force it upon anybody or anything like that. Then I took him to the Word of God and I showed him what Jesus did. That Jesus came and, and literally he laid his life down. He became that, that spectacle. And throughout the, the scripture, it tells us to go and preach. And, and here it tells us to, to beg. And I said, listen, folks, if we really believe that there is eternal punishment waiting for those that do not walk in the righteousness of God, we'll have that same attitude. We'll beg them. We'll say, you know, I beg you, brethren. I, I beg you to walk in righteousness. And I'm not just talking about the lost. I'm talking about people in the body of Christ. 
I know a lot of times we kind of just want to wash our hands of it and we're quits with them and we say, well, they're just lost and there's no hope for them and they're just this and that. Folks, listen, we need to, we need to really have the attitude of, uh, of, of, of calling people to that place of holiness and righteousness and begging them and, and, and really contending for their souls and contending for righteousness to be made manifest in their life. And so, uh, uh, Romans 12.1, he said, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. And so we are at his disposal or the complete submission to the will of God. That's what he's talking about, to, to, present, uh, 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 to present ourselves as that. And so what we're doing is then God, and, and, and that's only the, the only time that we can genuinely are walking in really a life of, of sacrificial consecration unto him where we are at his disposal. Let me ask you a question. Is your life at his disposal? You know, we want to say yes many times, but really, are you at the disposal of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you in a situation, regardless of what he tells you, whether you like it or not, or you can understand it or not, that you're just saying, yeah, Lord God, yes, I'll do it. Whatever it is, Lord God, you want me to do, however you want me to do it, regardless of how it it grates on me, regardless of how it challenges me, Lord God, whatever it is, Lord God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do and walk in obedience to that. Are you willing to do that? Folks, listen, we've got to come back to that place of that consecration and willful obedience to the hand and the nature of God. Because unless we do, really, what are we doing? We're paying lip service. And we, we find ourselves not unlike the situation where the Pharisees did. You know, they, were, they, they kept certain aspects of the law. They, they kept certain truths. But there was something about the, the application of those things that didn't, did not measure up to the, the standard that God wanted for them. Folks, listen, we can't do that. We've got to come to the place that says, God, listen, I am totally at your disposal. However you want to use me, whatever you want to do in my life, Lord God, that's what I'm here for. And so this is so very important, really, folks, because the Christian walk starts and finishes on one principle, and that's the principle of self-sacrifice. And you need to write that down. The, 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 the principle that I have to start out as, as a believer, is self-sacrifice. And folks, listen, if you're not walking in, a, in, a, in an attitude and a heart of self-sacrifice, you're not walking on, on, at the, on the very principle and the premise of what uh, uh, the, the life of a believer is. And so Jesus set that standard because uh, uh, when he came down from, really from his place in glory and dwelt among us and gave his life as the sacrifice for our sins. Think about John 15, 13 and 14. John 15, 13 and 14. And here's what he said. He said, greater love has no man than this, than a man that would lay down his life for his Friends, he said, so you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. And so if, if God's telling us to, to, to present ourselves and he's beseeching us through his servant, Paul the Apostle, to, to offer ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice, what's he saying? If you're my friend, you'll do that. And what do my friends do? My friends lay down their lives for their friends. And so what Jesus did, and we talked about this in detail yesterday, he provided the, the framework or the form for the foundation which, which everything else would be poured that would be his church. He said, upon this rock, upon this foundation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus, what he did with that, that three and a half years of public ministry, he did just like a man that would be building a foundation. He set the framework. He dug the footing. He did it in, in, in what? That we might be poured into that frame. We might be poured in to that, that, that form that everything's built upon that and everything's established. That we, we have 
have the right lines, the, 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 the proper elevation. Everything in our life is like a foundation that's built upon the right thing. And so he set the example and really he cut the die in which all should be cast that, that walk and live in his image. And, and this foundational form is designed around the principle of self-denial or self-sacrifice. I'm going to give you something that I, I felt like really the Lord has impressed upon me and he showed me. Along those lines of, of God, are we really being poured out into the form and, and exemplifying the character of Christ Jesus and, and, and laying down our lives and living that life of the self-sacrifice that Romans 12 and 1 is telling us to? And it's out of Matthew 16, uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter uh, 24. You know, I'm going I'm to read something to you. Ma- Matthew 16, uh, 24 through 26. Very, very familiar portion of Scripture to you. Here's what it says. It says, and Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, listen. Most often we associate that phrase, uh, shall gain the whole world, with those that are in the pursuit of the things of the world. That's what we think. We think, you know what, it's a, what is the prophet man to gain the whole world? If we think, okay, are you gaining the world? Are, are, are those looking for maybe a financial gain or those looking for, for something that the world has to offer or those looking for position or power? A lot of times when we, when we read that, for what is the prophet of man should gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what would a man give in exchange for soul? But folks, listen, if you look closely at this verse, at, at both the audience and the context, it really, I think it really provides, I know at least wise for me, a, a really a challenging look uh, to, to, to at those that are not necessarily caught up in living the American dream or those looking to make a name for themselves in society, but, but really it's speaking to you and I. It's speaking to you and I that, that, that desire the things of God, that, that want to be followers of Him. And so when He tells us, you know, we don't mind applying that to us when it's talking about, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We, we love applying that. We love to say, listen, I'm taking up my cross daily. Whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for, for my sake shall find it. We love to apply that to our lives. That's when we gave our lives to Jesus. What we don't want to apply is verse 26, though. Was it profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? But I'm going to show you how that applies to us by backing up a few verses to the 13th chapter and showing who Jesus was talking to. He wasn't talking to a bunch of people trying to get rich. He wasn't talking to a bunch of people trying to get uh, uh, names for themselves. He was talking to his disciples because it says in verse 13 of that same chapter, right there, he says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, and they said, some of them say you're John the Baptist, some say you're, uh, you're uh, Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said unto him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto him, and he said, what? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so we see the audience. We see an audience that's recognizing the, the Lordship of Christ. We see an audience that, that, that knows who he is, that's following after him. And he said unto him, he said, you are Peter, you're, you're Petros, you're a little rock. But upon this rock, my Petra, I'm going I'm to build my church, that foundation that we're talking about, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And, and, uh, the, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he charged he his disciples. Who did he charge? Who's he talking? His disciples. He didn't charge the, the guy out there running for Congress. He didn't charge the guy out there that's the, the great entrepreneur. He charged his disciples. He challenged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus Christ. 
And from that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples, who? Show who? His disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and how he must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord. That's not going to happen. He turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, Because you're an offense to me, because you savor not the things of God, but those that be of men. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Who? His disciples. If any man will come, here's that text that we're talking about. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For what, uh, whatever, whosoever will save his life uh, shall lose it. Whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall he give in exchange for his soul? So was Jesus talking to people that were trying to get their pockets filled? He wasn't. He was talking to his disciples. And so if I'm looking at that, how do I, what, what, what's he talking about? Gaining the whole world. And would he just throw some random comment like that? He said, okay, I'm not really talking about you guys. I'm talking about something else. Folks, listen. These were all, the, the people he's talking to, they were all about spreading the good news of salvation. They were. I mean, these were guys that were, that were had, had the, 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 they were, they were uh, about going and preaching the word and healing the sick. That was it. The problem is that they had a preconceived idea of how that should be accomplished, though. You hear what I'm saying? They were all about lifting up Jesus and serving Him and everything. The problem came, they got off kilter when, when it was the, the, the way that God wanted it done. And so they were all about, hey, you've got to lay down your life. Praise God, I want to do that. But when He threw a kink in there and He said, okay, but I'm going to kind of mess with you a little bit because this is kind of go outside the, the grain of what you expect. Then what happened, it set them in difference to the person of Christ Jesus. Now, folks, listen. Most of you that will come on here day, day in and day out, you know, your problem isn't that you don't want to serve God. You're, you're, most of you are soul winners and everything else. I tell you what, where we run aground and where that, uh, that applies to us is when God tries to, uh, it wants to speak to us and move outside of our mode or our, our modus operandi of doing things and it grates on us and it challenges us to say, well, that's not the way I want to do it or that's not the means. And so that's exactly what he's telling us here in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and Matthew chapter 16. And so when he calls out this gaining the whole world uh, issue to them here in this passage, he's not designing once again, uh, d- uh, not uh, uh, dealing with really the their desire for, for designer clothing or fancy cars or ten bedroom mansions because these men had obviously forsaken everything to follow him. And so we talk about, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Within the context of this, it's not talking about worldly gain, but it's talking about something. So what was he addressing then? Folks, listen, the, the, the Bible scholar Thayer, I love the way he puts this. And he really brings something out that causes really myself to deeply think in, uh, into the Word of God and really to look at some things that God has spoken to me really over the years and revealed to me in, in, the work, uh, in regards to the ministry. That word that he says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world, is the word cosmos in the Greek, K-O-S-M-O-S. And while it really, folks, certainly applies to the cosmos, which is this, this global sphere that we call planet Earth, the, the, there's a rendering in this text that, that has a meaning that far surpasses that, and it's a lot more challenging. And so when it talks about cosmos, what would it, what would it profit a man to gain the whole cosmos and lose his own soul? Now listen to what that word literally means in this context, in this rendering of that word. It means the ungodly multitude... The whole mass of men who are at present alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. It is the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men who are alienated from God 
and therefore are hostile to the cause of Christ. And so let me read that with that definition of cosmos, what, what he was talking about here. What would it profit a man if he should go out and reach all the ungodly multitude and the whole mass of men who are presently alienated from God and are hostile to Christ and lose his own soul? In other words, all the lost people of the world, the unsaved, those that Jesus sent us to reach. Now, folks, that creates kind of a paradox, doesn't it? You know, he's telling them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but he's telling them also, what, what would it benefit you to go out and do all that and lose your own soul? Isn't that kind of strange? And so he's telling us to reach them, but in the next breath he's telling us what benefit is if we reach them and, and lose our own soul or if we miss the mark, if we get off kilter in the process. And so what this brings about for me, folks, are two things that God spoke to me many, many years ago as really road markers for me in, in my personal walk and in my ministry. Some things that he has showed me that really have kind of served as a basis for, for, for my heart and my attitude towards the directives that I believe God has set before me. First off, the Lord spoke to me a word, and it really comes right out of this. This, this, this whole context of what we're talking about is he's begging us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, to, to, to offer ourselves to, to whatever it is uh, that we want to present, that we've got to come. We've got to make ourselves available to him. And, and this, what does it profit us to gain the whole world? All the ungodly that, you know, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. What good is it going to do if I get off line, I get off kilter? And here's what he told me. And you've probably heard me say this, that you've been around me over five seconds. It's not enough to be evangelistic, but we have to be altruistic. Do you hear me? It's not enough to be evangelistic. It's not enough to gain the whole world. Do you hear me? But we must also be altruistic or must be willing to live our life for the benefit of others. Or we must be willing to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Do you hear me? And so that sacrifice literally means to give up, to offer up that which is most precious to us. Now, I don't know about you folks, but what's most precious for me, I'm not looking for a bigger house, a finer car. I'm not looking for my face to be on a bill. I'm not looking for any of those things. You know what I'm looking for? I want my inheritance to be souls. And so that is what's the most precious to me. And so if I'm going to uh, pursue something, it's, it's how can I most effectively. But folks, listen, in the same time, we can see what Jesus was telling his disciples. Don't run aground on that. Don't get so tunnel vision that you forget the directive that I'm giving you. you, don't, you don't, you're forgetting the process that I'm giving you and you get so caught up on one thing that you forget the picture that I'm trying to present, the big picture, so to speak, that I'm giving you in the gospel. And so that's the first thing that we've got. Can't just be evangelists. We've got to be altruistic. That we've got to lay down our lives. We've got to present ourselves or our dreams, our ambitions as a living sacrifice. The second thing that he taught me is that it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. And so the first thing was, you can't just be evangelistic, you have to be altruistic. The next thing is, is it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. Folks, listen, this is a tough thing because it's so easy to decipher when we're doing evil things or unrighteous things that are, un, that are contrary to the gospel. It is. I mean, if you're uh, using foul language, you know it. If you're drinking, you know it. If you're lusting, you know it. If you've got a bad attitude, you know it. But what about when you're doing things right? And even in your quote-unquote rightness, you're gaining the whole world but losing your own soul. See, that's where it's tough, folks. That's where you've really got to get 
a godly wisdom in everything that you say and everything that you do. And you've got to measure those things against the, the totality or the great preponderance of scriptural evidence and, and what God is speaking to you. That's why you've got to constantly stay on your face before God. That's why you've constantly got to find yourself under the counsel of the Word of God. That's why you've constantly got to have yourself under the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's why you've constantly got to have yourself encouraged and, and uplifted by other believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're the body fit to, fitly joined together. Because in our rightness, sometimes we can forego the righteousness. And that's what he's, he's trying to tell us here. I'm begging you, folks. I'm beseeching you through the tender mercies of God that you present yourself, that you make yourself available to Him. Because this is a people that have already been given the outline of the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he is saying that, listen, we've got to be careful and listen attentively as not to allow those things that appear most noble and holy to allow those things to set us in difference to the will of God. But, but really, folks, you know, if we look at that and we think, well, how, how can I decipher that? How can I see it? We, we really don't have to look a lot further, any further, really, than the glaring example that was set for us that, uh, by, the, uh, by, the, by Israel, by, the, by the, the Sanhedrin, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the, the religious leaders. Why? Because those guys did everything that was right. If you go and you look at their lives and, and you look at what they did in regards to the law of Moses, they, they did, they lived exemplary. They, they kept all the feasts, they kept all the law. But folks, what was it? They became dead in their rightness and they missed the righteousness. And what does Matthew 5.20 say? He said, I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. They did all the things. They did all the stuff. They did all the, they, they went through all the motions. They gained the whole world, so to speak. But in the process, lost their own soul. Folks, what does that tell us? That tells us that we've got to maintain such a level of intimacy with Christ Jesus. Because otherwise, what we'll do is we'll find ourselves locked into a certain modus operandi, and we'll be convinced in our heart that what we're doing is totally right. And you know what? If you just put it down and you begin to say, okay, can I get a scripture of this and that to back it up? Listen, you probably can. But is that the directive and the will that God is putting upon your heart? And that, is that what he's in, imploring us and begging us to do it that morning? Folks, and so this is the reason that, that Paul was begging them after having spent so much time instructing them in the doctrinal truths that when it comes time to apply these principles that it should not be done under the guise of some type of rigid conformity but under the self-sacrificing guide post of transformity. I want to say that again. So when Paul was giving them these, these doctrinal truths, he wasn't saying, I want you to do this under the guise of a rigid conformity, but under the self-sacrificing guide post of transformity. And so we'll get into that a little bit more about conformity and transformity in the second verse. But that's really what he's saying. Listen, guys, I'm giving you something not to conform you, but to transform you. Okay, I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. I don't want to be conformed to the image of this world. And he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. Folks, I have many good ideas that are not necessarily God ideas. You hear me? That is, on the surface, I could find a lot of reasons. I could find a chapter. I could find a verse to do these things. But I was in no way uh, being different than those who would take the word and extract something to promote their own agenda. Like the, the, the prosperity preachers. They'll pull this verse out or that verse and they'll extract certain truths and they'll, they'll, they'll misapply them. And it's, it's self-serving rather than self-sacrificing. 
And so if I do that, regardless of, of how noble it looks, what am I doing? I'm finding myself uh, walking contrary to the Word of God. And so he says, I want you to present yourself, your bodies a living sacrifice. And he said, the first criteria has got to be holiness. And so what is holiness? It's, it's that which is set apart for God. So if I'm walking holy, what am I saying? I'm walking set apart for God, not set apart for me. Okay, folks? Folks, I got a lot of really great ideas and I could, I could do some great plans and, and do some things that, that people would pat me on the back and say, man, that's so spiritual and that's so great. But if God's not told me to do it, what am I doing? I'm walking in, in, in rebellion. I'm walking in, in conflict. I'm walking in, 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 in self-serving, self-righteousness rather than a self-sacrificing holiness before God. And so that's why we've always got to be just mindful of those things and be in pursuit of what God's teaching. He said, holy or that which is set apart for God and not us, acceptable or that which is well approved and eminently satisfactory. And so if it's acceptable, sometimes we think that it's acceptable. Well, hey, how'd you like that? Well, it's acceptable. And folks, we look at it as acceptable as something that's just a bare minimal. Folks, listen, when, when he's telling us to offer it as holy and acceptable, he's not talking about something that's the bare minimal. He's talking about something that's well approved and it's eminently satisfactory. In other words, it's the very best. So if I'm set apart for God and not for myself, then I'm going to be acceptable unto him. It's going to be the very best. Folks, listen, I don't want to offer God that which is just very good. I want to offer Him that which is my very best. I want to offer Him the first fruits of everything. Folks, the whole principle of tithing is, is not really, at the end of the day, not about money. It's offering the very best first. And so, folks, listen, in my life, I want to offer the very best. Now, I can take the very best. If I, Say, for instance, I have $100 and I take the tithe off of it. That's, the, that's $10. That leaves me 90 now, now, folks, I can buy a lot with the 90. I can. But, but what part is holy? The part that's holy is that, that 10, okay? The other, it's, I can use it. I can go and, and make purchases. Folks, it's the same way with our obedience unto God. What we've got to do is take that, 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 that first part of obedience off the top. Now, the rest of what we do, it can be good and it can be passed off. But it's not the part that's been set apart for God. All those things that we do, what's set apart for God is righteous obedience and being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul the Apostle is telling him. And what is that? That's reasonable. And so that's what any rational person would do. That's what he's saying. Uh, do it that's set apart. Let your sacrifice be set apart for God, not for you. Acceptable, well-approved, and eminently satisfactory and reasonable. That which any rational individual will do. And folks, listen. The rational responder to righteousness will do what God says without concern for how it affects their desires, their plans, or their understandings. Do I need to say that again? The rational responder to righteousness will do what God says without any concern as how it affects your desire, your plan, or your understanding. Good example. Here I am pastoring in Texas for many years. Man, God is doing things. We, uh, it, you know, worked. Melly and I labored and gave our lives for 13 and a half years at this church that God raised out of the rubble and the hood. And we've seen God do some some really neat things. We had a Jesus Cafe feeding, you know, uh, 250 homeless guys. We we had things going. We had two church buildings and had a place where we were taking guys off the streets and women off the street, doing all the things that that from the beginning we said this is what we want to do. This is what God has called. This is the vision that God has given us. So we're we're seeing the culmination of those things. People are, are getting on board for it. God has built... Then all of a sudden, God says, listen, I want you to, to just walk away from all that. Give it... Turn it over to your associates. And I want you to, to, to leave and take your family and go to New Orleans. Now, in the natural, 
I could have said, oh man, that's not God. You know what? We're doing it. We're feeding the hungry. We're clothing the naked. Now, I could have said that was right. You know what? And most people would have, would have bought into it. Matter of fact, many people did. And they said, well, you're just missing God because, listen, this is everything that, that we want to do. This is all those things. But I said, listen, I've got to obey rather than sacrifice. I've got to allow myself to be the sacrifice, not what I do here to be the sacrifice. And so when God said go, what did I have to do? I had to go to a place that I didn't know anybody. We found ourselves having to sleep temporarily in a storage building. All these things that were just that, that graded on the flesh. But what happened? I had learned a lesson long ago that when God speaks, it's always better for me to obey and not try to sit back and figure out and measure. Okay, God, but that's not going to do this. What about that? God spoke. He gave the still small voice. And as a result of that obedience, what are we doing? We're sitting here now preaching to the nations. We're sitting here and we've got teams all over the United States, not just in, 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 in Amarillo, Texas, in the Texas Panhandle. Now, what if I would have said, listen, it's more important for me to be right than it is to be righteous. What would God have been able to do? You know, I don't know. We probably would have totally missed out on the plan of God and, and seen and, and many less people come to Jesus and obviously wouldn't have reproduced what it would. But folks, listen, it, for me it had to come to that place where I could see what I saw and it looked so good, it looked so perfect. But in reality, God was saying, listen, that was just a proving ground. Now I want you to see if you're going to be obedient to the next step that I'm taking. And folks, that, the reason that's tough is because when I was doing those things, Pastoring, feeding the hungry, had the Jesus Cafe. Pull. Now, those were things that, that I'm instructed to do. Those things are good things. Those are not wicked things. And so, folks, listen, just as I showed you there in, in Matthew chapter 16, it, it's, it's tough sometimes to discern and decipher those things that are good from bad or the gaining the whole world and losing our own soul. Because what was I doing? I was gaining the world. I was seeing people get saved in droves all the time. How could that be a bad thing? Well, because once God said do something else, regardless of what I was doing, now it became self-righteousness. Regardless of the outcome. Do you hear what I'm saying? I was indifferent to the person of the Holy Spirit. So I had to be obedient to that. And I really challenge you to that in those areas. And so, really this is, when, when it comes down to it, he says that rational responder is to, to do whatever you need to do in, in, in regards to what God says rather than our own desires, plans, or understanding. And he says, which is your reasonable service? And it comes from the idea uh, out of uh, Hebrews 9, 6 of the priest performing their Levitical duties. He said, it's your reasonable service. I want you to do things. The priest's service was really a very methodical thing. It was very stringent. And, and probably most of it, and I would say most of it wasn't even totally understood by them. You know, when they went into the tabernacle and they saw the brazen altar, I, I'm sure that they didn't say, oh, God, guys, this is so neat because this is a picture of the cross. I'm sure that when they went to the, to the bronze labor, they didn't say, oh, neat, this is a time of consecration. Or when they went to the veil, they said, oh, great, that's going to be the Messiah's flesh. He's going to be torn. They didn't understand those things. But what was it still yet? They had to have reasonable service. They were service because they were obeying the directives and the plan, when God spoke to Moses, he said, according to this pattern. And he began to give instruction to, to Aaron and subsequently all, to all the, the priests that would go in and, and do those duties in, in, the, in the tabernacle and, and, and subsequently within the, the temple. And so what it was, it was this, these things. He was, he was saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God spoke and what God said. Even though I may not have a complete cognitive understanding of it, I know the voice of God. I may not understand it. I may not see it all. But you know what? I know how to hear what God is saying. And so what ended up happening, obviously a great revelation came out of that. And we can look back now and see that the whole tabernacle and the, and the things that he was telling them to do as the priest of God certainly presented a picture of Christ Jesus. 
Folks, listen, we've got to have that same type of faithful endurance in the things that God has told us to do. So Paul wrote, really, let me say this, Paul's whole point in this first verse, folks, is that he is begging his hearers to trust what God is about to say to them. That's what he's saying. Folks, I'm telling you, listen, something's coming up. I'm begging you to listen to, 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 by the mercies of God, by God's process of sanctification, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm telling you, I'm preparing you, get ready for what God is going to say. And even though it may at times seem confusing, it may seem challenging, it may even seem contradictory, but it's designed to do the perfect work of God in your life. And so that's what Paul is instructing them to do right here. And so think about this, James chapter 1, 1 through 4. James 1, 3, 3 and 4, excuse me, James chapter 1, 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. The trying of what? Your faith. The trying of your circumstance? Uh-uh. The trying of your family? No, the trying of your faith. So what's being put on trial here in James 1.3? Your faith. What is being, what is being tried? It's, it's your faith. That the trying of your faith is going to work patience. And so what does God do? He wants to try. He wants to, 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 to put under the microscope. He wants to put the pressure on what? The moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. That moral conviction that's coming to, to our life that I believe that everything that God said is absolutely true. And so if God said it, regardless of what I see, the reality is what God said. Okay. So know this, that the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Now, folks, how many of us struggle, if we struggle with anything, we struggle with patience. We struggle with patience. Why? Because patience basically takes us out of our game and takes us out of our plan. And it makes us really abide in Him and, and rest in the Lord and trust in His directives. Now, folks, listen. When we, and once again, let me use that, that story once again about God taking us into New Orleans. Now, we didn't show up. And I, I know what God spoke to me. He said, I want you to go to New Orleans. And He said, I want you to, two things He said. He said, uh, he said you're going to begin to network the body of Christ. And He said, We're going to, you're going to see a great revival or move of God happen in the Gulf Coast. Now, folks, when I got there, you know, many times it was just us. You know, I, this great networking, I'd call pastors up. They didn't want to have anything to do with us. Told them what we were all about. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? You know, it seems like I've just missed you. And, but I had to be patient because I knew what God said. And it was, it was more real than what I was going through. So what did I do? I had to be patient. You know, times we went out on the streets, we didn't have dozens of people going out. We didn't have this army of, of quote-unquote ravens going out there and preaching the gospel. Sometimes, you know, late at night, I'd go to get somebody and they didn't want to go and I'd have to go back to the house and pick up my 12-year-old daughter and say, Kayla, you're going to have to go with me and it's just going to be you and I out there on the streets tonight and we're going to preach to 150 homeless guys in Jackson Square. It was patience. But I had to allow patience to work its, to, uh, to, to allow the trying of my faith to work patience so it could do its perfect work. Now, verse 4 in James 1, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so when I get into the will of God, when I get into the directives of the Holy Spirit, what's, what am I saying? Okay, God, I'm going to let you refine and define these things. Folks, listen, if I couldn't have been faithful over those little things, if I couldn't have been faithful just to say, God, I'll do it regardless of what I see. I, I, I'm, we're, we're lonely. We're a thousand miles from any family. Lord God, I'm willing to do that. It's, it's not happening with the, 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 the progress of time and the manner. And, it, you know, and so evidently, you know what, God, you didn't tell me to go and network the body. You didn't say that you're going to send a revival upon the, the Gulf Coast. You know, God, you didn't say it, so I guess I just missed you. And I'm going to go back and, and see if they'll let me have my, my church in Texas back. If they'll let me go back to my Jesus Cafe and my, my Raven's Nest for, for taking men off the streets. If they'll let me go back to my, my 64 blocks of adopted block. They'll let me go do all those things. Maybe I can go back and, and salvage that. Folks, any man putting his hand to the plow and looking back, 
regardless of what you're looking back at, even if you're looking back at good things, of neat things, of great things, of right, uh, right things, folks, anybody that looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. We have got to set our faces like a flint and grab hold of the directive that God has given us for that moment. And we've got to, through the tender mercies of God, present ourselves holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service unto Him and allow the trying of our faith to work patience and let patience then present and perfect that perfect work that we might be perfect and entire and lacking, wanting nothing, not coming up short, not always struggling, not one day being depressed and one day having victory. Folks, listen, what what has allowed me with my life and my personal testimony to, to stay steadfast is allowing the trying of my faith to work patience, believing God regardless of what I see. So what does the result happen? Did God begin to network? Yeah. Many of you are the testimony of that. Of God networking people day by day and every single moment we're getting calls and people getting involved and, and more and more all the time. Did God send revival? Yes. We saw thousands of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Was it in, in, in uh, three days and with, uh, with a gospel track and singing a song in a building? No, it wasn't that. Folks, listen, I personally saw over 800 individuals come to the Lord Jesus Christ in the three months following Hurricane Katrina on Bourbon Street. And so that is what God promised. He said, I'm going to begin to stir people up. And what's neat about that is even the, the hundreds of people we saw come to the Lord in those, those two years before Hurricane Katrina, many of those people got dispersed out into the, into the nations. Listen, they didn't come back. And so what happened is the seed of salvation that was planted in their life that changed and transformed them. Now they went out and they ended up in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And they ended up in, 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 in upstate New York. They ended up in, in Oklahoma. They ended up in Houston, Texas. They ended up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so what happened is a revival. God stirred something up in the seed that we planted during those times and we couldn't even tell what it was. We didn't know what He was doing when He was extracting people from the, from the, the housing project, saving them. And they'd tell us, listen, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out. Well, they got out. Now they're living lives. Their, their, their families are coming together and they're in different parts of the country. What did God do? He did exactly what he, he said He would do. Even though He didn't do it in my preconceived idea of what it was. Because, folks, listen, if I'd have drawn it up, I certainly wouldn't have drawn it up that way. Why? Because we always have a different way of doing things. We're too short-sighted in it. So, folks, we've got to, to, to allow ourselves to come under the, the, the subjection to the perfect will of God. We've got to, to, to allow ourselves, to, by the tender mercies of God, to present ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, even when it grates against us, goes against the grain of what we think. We've got to come to that place to trust Him. That's what Paul is setting us up for, folks. And if you can't get to that point in verse 1, you will never understand verses 2 through 21. I'm here to tell you that. You will never understand them. Why? Because you'll only measure them against preconceived ideas just like uh, the, the Apostle Peter did. God, far be it for me that you to do that. And we'll set ourselves at odds against Him even though we're trying to gain the whole world. What will happen? We'll lose our own soul. In other words, we'll come in, we'll, we'll, we'll be right, we'll be, but we'll be unrighteous. And we won't be set apart for His service. We'll be set apart for our own agenda and for our own desire. Folks, listen, that's sin just as much as anything else is. Do you hear me? That's why he said in Isaiah 43, 18, I believe it is. He said, remember not the former things or consider the things of old. Behold, I shall do a 
new thing, and now it shall spring forth. He's saying that in, in Isaiah 43, when Isaiah in chapter 6 had said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe fills the temple. What was he telling? He said, I know you had that neat experience. He said, but I don't want you to consider the good things or the bad things. He said, I'm about to do something brand new that you're not going to have anything to, to compare it to. He said, I'm going to make rivers in the desert and pathways in the wilderness. I'm going to do something that's going to astound you, but you've got to get out of your old modus operandi and begin to look to me and to see the power of God make itself manifest. And so that's, that's verse uh, t- uh, chapter 12, verse 1, really kind of summed up. And I want to read chapter 2 to you, verse 2 to you, and I know that I'm not going to be able to finish verse 2 at all, but uh, we'll probably deal with it uh, 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 once again probably tomorrow and possibly even on Monday when we come back for that class. But he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, folks, listen, be not conformed. That is where we get the idea of our being built or patterned after something. And for the, so the Greek word for conform is to assume the expression that is patterned after some definite thing. I want to read that again. The Greek word for that is defined as to assume the expression that is patterned after some definite thing. And, folks, listen, we spoke yesterday about this, that, that foundation being poured into a form, and it's, it sets the base and for all else it's going to be built. And, and, and here it is. It's saying the exact same thing again. That listen, don't be conformed. Don't, don't be patterned or don't be, it, it, uh, find your expression patterned after or some definite thing that represents the world. What's interesting about that world, it's not the cosmos world that we looked at in, in Matthew 16. But this word world is the aeon, A-I-O-N world. And listen to what it says. Don't be conformed. Don't pattern yourself. Don't get the ideas built around or pattern after something of this world. And that aeon literally means all those thoughts, all those opinions, all those maxims, those speculations, those hopes, those impulses, those aims, those aspirations. Don't be conformed to that type of thing. Don't allow your thoughts or your opinions or your speculations or your hopes or your impulses, your own personal aims, whatever it is, your ambitions, your aspirations, don't be conformed by those things. And so a lot of times we think to ourselves, once again, don't be conformed to this world, or don't be dressing like the world, or don't be listening to the world's music. But really, he brings it home to us. Here's the personal challenge that Paul was issuing to them. He said, listen guys, don't be conformed to the way you think things are about to unfold. Don't get so, don't get so short-sighted that, that you don't see the big picture of what I'm about to present to you in these next, in these 21 verses of chapter 12. Don't, don't get so caught up. Don't, don't, don't be conformed to your own aeon, your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own maxim, your own ideas, your aspirations, your hopes, your impulses, whatever you want to call it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. In other words, all of those things churning around in your head that seem so good and so godly and so wonderful and so exciting, they, they, they do. But when it comes down to it, they may be good, but not necessarily God. Do you hear me? They, they may be right, but they may not necessarily be righteous. So Paul was setting the warning for them. And he's telling them, listen guys, I know when I'm about to give you the rest of these things, that, 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 that you're going to want to divert back to your way of thinking. But I'm telling you, don't be conformed to that. Don't, don't find yourself trapped in that, that, that line of thinking like Peter was trapped in. Don't find yourself trapped in that line of, of thinking where you're gaining the whole world but losing your own soul. Don't, don't, don't get trapped into that because I've got something so much bigger, so much deeper, so much reach, uh, that, that's so much more far-reaching than anything you could comprehend along those lines. And so he said, but I want you to be 
transformed. I want you to be uh, metamorpho. I want you to be the, a metamorphosis, literally, to come upon your life. And folks, listen, that's what God is calling us to. When he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that, don't, uh, that, that if anybody be in Christ, they're a new creature, old things have passed away, all things are made new. What's he doing? He's promising us a metamorphosis. He's saying what you were is about to change. What you, what you experience is, is about to turn. It, it's like the, the caterpillar, folks, turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar did something. He, he could go and eat leaves. He could wiggle his way around. But what if he said, you know what, I don't want to go through the, the process of the cocoon. I don't want to go through that, that process of the tearing away of who I am and allowing uh, something else to be extracted. Folks, listen, you, you can walk in your caterpillar faith, but man, God is wanting a butterfly that's going to leave the confines of the branch and it's going to fi- find itself flying into to higher heights. And that's what he's saying. Be transformed. Allow the metamorphosis to change and the transformation to come up on your life. What's interesting about that, and I don't have time to get much into it today, but that word transformed is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 17, I believe it is, where, where Jesus found himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that transfiguration is the Mount of Metamorphosis. Folks, listen, God is calling us to our Mount of Transfiguration. He is calling us to that place where we're, we grab hold of the transformation that God has for us. We grab a hold of, of the directives that He has for us and we see our hearts and our lives changed for the power of God and we're able to move beyond just the, 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 the goodness or move beyond just the, 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 the right place and moving into a place of righteousness and a place of really seeing the fulfillment of the things that God has called us to do. And folks, listen, we're, we're out of time, but I really want to take some time just on that second verse tomorrow and show you some great things that we can extract from that that I believe God wants to show us in preparation to, as we go into these 21 verses of Scripture. Folks, got the, uh, yeah, got a little bit of video issues here today, but, but we're getting past that. But folks, really, we're going to get into that. I encourage you, take some time over, the, over, over today and tomorrow before we have our class to, to really read thoroughly over that, 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 that 12th chapter. And, and because I, you need to get a groundwork. That way, when I begin to, to read these to you, man, God will begin to prompt things in you. And I believe that by the Holy Spirit, we're going to get some revelation out of these 21 verses that are going to blow you away. They're going to really give you the game plan for what God has for you for these last days in preparation for His return. Don't forget, we're, we pray seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 7, for, excuse me, from 5 a.m. I'm coming late, day, uh, hour late. Uh, from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, right here in this same forum. And uh, we're, we're here Monday through Friday with the, the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. And love you to, to come and be a part of that. Again, if you want these classes on a DVD, which is just the audio part, not the video part, uh, you can email me at raven at biggrace.com. Glad to send that stuff to you and to make it available to you free of charge. But i got one bit of advice for you today as we close out. And that's get into God's Word. And God's Word will get into you.